0: I want to read from a Bible that began in 1611. I don't have the original copy, and you don't either. If you did, you couldn't read it because of the old English. But in Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 5 down through verse 11. Colossians 3 verses 5 through 11. You love the Lord this morning. Amen. The Bible says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds." And I put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Whether it's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Father, thank you for your precious word. And I pray, God, that we'd allow that word today to have free course. And God, we'd allow the Spirit of God to move in our lives. Lord, to draw us near to you, send conviction where it's needed. But God, I pray most of all, that today you would save that soul that's nearest hell. We'll give you the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Our new life in Christ, and if my computer is correct, this is our 10th week on this topic. And I never dreamed that I would go this long on this topic. But the more I dig, the more I find. And the more I realize how blessed I am to have a brand new life in Christ. I remember how I used to live and I don't want to go back. I'm ashamed of the things I did and said, and I'm glad that Jesus forgave them all, and He gave me a reason for living. In our text this morning, we've been there for quite a long time, and we're not going to go back and rehash everything we've already done, but in verse 5, the Bible gives us five things we are to mortify, five things that are crucial. As children of God, we are to get rid of out of our life. If you were here this morning in our Sunday school aisle, we looked at John 3, where Jesus told Nicodemus, if you're ever going to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And we found out that in our, in America today, we, Jason played a short video clip of David Platt, And in that video clip, researchers say that in America, four out of five people claim to be a Christian. Of that four out of five, less than half go to church on a weekly basis. Out of that four or five, less than half believe the Bible is true. And then the researchers decided to take a poll of, born-again Christians. And I agree with David Platt, if you're not born-again, you're not a Christian. Okay? And even that group, not much difference. And again, there were a lot of details that some believe that Jesus sinned. How can you believe that when God's Word says He didn't? But I agree with David Platt because a survey like that gives the impression to the world then evidently Christians are no different than we are. But I agree even more with what he said. What that survey shows us, there are a lot of people in America today and across our world who claim to be Christians and are not. And this morning we're going to be speaking a little while about the wrath of God. And I must confess, I don't remember the last time I've heard a a message on the wrath of God. On the last time that I preached a message on the wrath of God. And I find it kind of interesting that in our text, before Paul gets to verse 6, he introduces to us, as Christians, five things we're to get rid of in our lives. I don't care who you are, when you come to Christ, you come with baggage. There are weeds in your life. And some are extremely dangerous. And if we allow them to continue, they will choke out our spiritual life. So Paul understands how serious this is. And he doesn't say play with them. He says kill them. Put them to death. And we took each one one by one. We did that several weeks ago. But in verse 6, the Bible gives us the reason why we are to mortify those things in our life. And verse 6 says, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Those sins will bring the wrath of God on our lives. We don't hear that preach today. One preacher said this our best life is now. If this is my best life, I'm in trouble. My friend, my best life is in heaven. And one thing I do not want to experience is the wrath of God on my life. And I want you to realize that God is not a mean God. God is not unjust. And whether we believe it or not, God is always fair. And he's always righteous. He can't be anything but righteous. And so our God, the God of the universe, the only God there is, he doesn't reveal his wrath arbitrarily. But we have to realize his perfect moral nature will not allow sin and wickedness to go unpunished. He must and he will punish sin and he will punish Wickedness. And we need to realize that while wrath occurs at present in our natural consequences of simple behavior, there's coming a day, and you can mark it down on your calendar, folks. You wouldn't know the day, but write it in somewhere. There's a day the final culmination of God's wrath is coming. It is coming. And it's coming with future and final punishment of evil. And we live in a world where people try to get around that. Where people don't believe it. But my friend, understand this. There is punishment for evil. And there is punishment for all of those who have not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You must be born again. Wrath is defined as the emotional response to a perceived wrong and injustice. In the scripture, sometimes it's translated anger, sometimes indignation, vexation, or irritation. I suppose this may be go without saying, but I think we know that both human beings and God express wrath but folks we need to understand something about that there's a vast difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of man God's wrath is holy it's a holy wrath God's wrath is always justified man's wrath is never holy and it's rarely justified. Somebody ever done you wrong? Well, what a question, huh? I could be a prophet, right? I mean, Lord, somebody tell me somebody here has been done wrong. That'd be all of us. And a lot of times our mindset is I don't get mad. I just get even. But that's not true either. We want to get even with interest. Isn't that true? So God's wrath is always holy. God's wrath is always justified. Our wrath is never holy. And our wrath is rarely justified. In the Old Testament, the wrath of God was a divine response to human sin and disobedience. And if you're a student of the Old Testament, at least until they were carried away into captivity to Babylon, the most common thing was idolatry that brought the wrath of God and their final deportation from the nation. And understand, our God is consistent. And it's true when it comes to his wrath. Because the wrath of God is consistently directed toward those who do not follow his will. Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. And most people have heard the story of Jericho. How the walls came tumbling down on day seven. A great victory. The next little town was Ai. Not nearly as foreboding and powerful and threatening as Jericho. But when Jericho fell, God said to Israel, everything in that town has to be dedicated to me. Everything. Take nothing for yourself. And so they... Getting ready to battle Ai, don't need all their men, and Ai defeats them. And Joshua fell on his face before God. I mean, wow, think about it. this is only our second city, Lord. And we have been defeated soundly by a small, insignificant city. You know what God said to Joshua? Joshua, get off your face. You don't need to pray to me. There is sin in camp. So, what happened was, Achan at Jericho saw a little bit of gold. He saw a robe that he wanted. And he took it and he hid it in his tent. Joshua 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Folks, understand something here. The wrath of God is consistently directed toward those who do not follow His will and obey His word. (laughs) Jeremy chose some of the old hymns this morning. And they were certainly dripping with theology. I love those kind of hymns. But we also like to sing hymns about heaven, isn't that true? And for the Christian, the day of the Lord is a glorious day. For us, if you're born again, it'll be a day of rejoicing. A day of our coronation, if you will. A day when we enter the kingdom of God and live forever. But it's interesting, the Old Testament prophets, when they wrote of the day of the Lord... They wrote of a day in the future and they realized for the most part, for most people it wouldn't be a good day, it would be a day of wrath. Now it was repeated several times but we we'll read from Zephaniah one example this morning. Chapter 1 verse 14 to 15. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near, and it hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty men shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. I'm glad for the blood of Jesus this morning, folks. But because of the blood of Jesus, I don't have to face that day of wrath. But the Bible says there's coming a day, and it's coming very quickly. The day of the Lord is coming. And Zephaniah said, God says to Zephaniah, on that day, even the mighty men will weep bitterly. You know what else will happen? They'll cry for the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the face of God. And we have to understand something, folks. God's wrath against sin and disobedience is perfectly justified. And the reason it's perfectly justified is because God's plan for mankind is holy. It's perfect, just as God himself is holy and perfect. Whoa, I'm tired already. I know it's not an exciting but before we got to preach the truth. A day of wrath is coming. But I've got some great news. God provided a way to escape that day of wrath. His name is Jesus Christ. God provided a way to gain divine favor. That's repentance. <laughs> and repentance, we turn away from our sins. We change direction, begin to follow God. That turns God's wrath away from us. And we have to understand, even though we may not, and we will not understand everything God does, to reject the perfect plan is to reject God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's favor. And we'll never earn His righteousness. But the wrath of God is not only a topic of the Old Testament. It's also a topic of the New Testament. Because the New Testament supports the concept of God as a God of wrath, a God who will judge sin. We're not going to take time to read it this morning. Most of you know uh, the story of rich man and Lazarus. rich man fared well on this earth. Lazarus, not so well. In fact, he would sit on the floor at the table of the rich man and beg for crumbs. But guess what happens to both the rich and the poor? They die. And they both stand before God. Well, the Bible says the rich man, when he died, he was buried And he lifted up his eyes in hell. Oh, that was a horrible place. And he looked across the chasm and he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. Hell was a place of torment. And let me change that. Hell is a place of torment, it's a place where the worm never dies a place of darkness a place of gnashing of the teeth and that's where the rich man found himself a place of torment he looked across and he saw Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham and there's a lot we could say about that that we're not really sure of sometimes but it was a place of comfort and the torment was so bad that He begged Lazarus, Lazarus, just dip your finger in some water and come over here and put a drop on my tongue. And the Bible says that couldn't happen. Because, hear me well, once you're there, you're there. You can't pray him out of it. The Bible does not speak of purgatory. The Bible says the axe laid to the tree, as the tree falls, so shall it lay. And Lazarus could not, if he wanted to, cross that chasm. And the rich man said, God, I've got some brothers. And if they don't change their life, they're going to end up where I'm at. They're going to experience the wrath of God that I'm experiencing for eternity. Send someone, send Lazarus back for that matter, to warn them about this awful place. Now, by the way, the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he rejected God's Savior. And Lazarus didn't go to Abraham's bosom. That's a euphemism, I think, for heaven. Because he was poor, he went there because he trusted God. John three thirty-six. He that believeth on the Son, the S-O-N, Hath everlasting life. I'm there. How about you? Now, when the word the Bible says, believe in me with your whole heart. Not just a mental sin. Okay, okay, I see the fact. I I read them, okay. Satan does that. But I believe. I've received my Lord and Savior. And the Bible says, Because of that, I have everlasting life. Praise God. But how many know there's only one side of the coin? The last part of verse 36, John 3. And he that believeth not the Son, S-O-N, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Do you know why the one who believes in the Son won't suffer God's wrath for our sin? Because the Son took God's wrath for me and for you when he died in my place on the cross. And the Bible is very clear. Those who do not believe in the Son those who do not receive him as Savior, one of these days, they'll be judged on the day of wrath, and it won't be a good day. Romans 2, 5 and 6. But after thy hardness and at heart treasured up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation, of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds folks payday is coming no one will escape and what folks who reject the savior those who continually harden their hearts, those who refuse to repent, they are literally gathering up wrath on the day of wrath. And both you can write it down. God will give it to every man according to his deeds. And by the way, we don't know the day of God's wrath. But one thing I do know. The Bible says no one will escape that final encounter with God. And the Bible calls us, to live every day with that in mind. One of these days, men and women will give account to God. So the counsel of the Bible gives us about our attitude, and our attitude must be the day of the Lord is near. How many know it's near today than it was yesterday? It's nearer than we when we first believed. First Thessalonians five two. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was the people behind Jeremy and Nicole had their Jeep stolen. And I don't know who the thief was, not sure they caught him, but I'm sure that he called the people before he came and he said, I'm on the way to steal your car. You think that happened? You know it didn't. A thief doesn't come that way. And the Bible says, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. A time when you least expect it. Now, by the way, I'm expecting it. If you're a child of God, you don't have to be caught unaware. But you've heard the same thing I've heard. Come on, preacher. They've been saying that for thousands of years. Isn't that true? I mean, come on, we heard it 50 years ago, we heard it 40 years ago, we heard it 20 years ago, and, and actually thousands of years have gone by uh, since those warnings were given. I want to tell you something, folks. The Bible says those warnings are real. No matter how much time it's gone by, Jesus is coming again. A day of judgment and a day of wrath. And by the way, that's not anything new. People have always scoffed at it. Second Peter chapter three verse three and four. Oh man, Jeremy, you took too me too long in them songs. I even cut my message short this morning for that reason. Lord, forgive me for thinking bad about Jeremy. Second Peter verse three, chapter three, three and four. Knowing this. First. There shall come in the last days scoffers, walking at their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were, From the beginning of creation. I don't have time to develop, it. I got to do this next week. You got to come back next week, okay? You can't miss it. Now, Pam knows if I'm watching a movie or or even a TV drama. We don't watch much anymore uh, of that kind of stuff. Now, Now, we do once in a while. If it's a good movie, but. I hate it when it's said to be continued, but today I'm saying to be continued. But folks, oh, here's what I want you to know. We're going to come back to Second Peter three and three and four next week. Is, have you ever heard of a straw man argument? What does that mean? Anybody know? What's a straw man argument mean? Jeremy, what does it mean? Yeah. How strong is a straw man? I want to tell you, when they say, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That, my friend, is a straw man argument. And next week we'll tell you why. Let's stand together. I want you to realize this morning, I don't care who you are, What your lot in life is, God loves you. Those who are lost today, God loves you. He loved you so much that he sent a Savior to die in your place. When Christ was on Calvary, God poured wrath that was intended for you and I, poured it out on his son. And the day that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, confessed Him as Lord and Savior, repented of my sins, I no longer face the wrath of God. And I'm sure what's true in my life is true in yours. I have friends and family who are unsaved. And if they don't change they will experience the dreadful wrath of God. And the argument that I've heard through the years, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? My friend, God doesn't send anyone there. If you go there, it's by your own choice. We read it a moment ago, those who refuse to repent, they are treasuring up wrath at themselves. So, those who end up in a devil's hell for eternity have no one to blame but themselves. And yes, God sent Jesus into the world to be our Savior. And they will argue, well, wait a minute, I thought Jesus Christ is my Savior. And He is today. But my friend, there's coming a day He will be our judge. And everyone whose name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. A place that was originally prepared for Satan and his followers, his angels. And all those who reject Christ will end up there. But I've got good news. God doesn't want you to go there. He wants you to choose Christ and live. But he won't force it on you. He won't make you do that. He leaves it up to you. And maybe there's someone here this morning, someone listening online, and you've never received Christ as your Savior. If you don't change You'll experience the wrath of God, and my friend, it won't be pretty. I don't want you to go there. But more importantly, God doesn't want you to go there. God delights in forgiveness more than he does judgment. But if you're going to be saved today, you must come to him. We're going to play, I think, Alan in a moment, right? A song of, just a song of invitation. Let's pray first. Father, we love you today. And I pray, God, that you'll speak to hearts. And I pray, Lord, if there's one person here this morning in the audience or one at home online, if they've never been born again, truly born again, God, you would speak to their hearts. And I pray for those who are Christians today. Lord, let us even live in the attitude that your coming is near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we play the song this morning. If you want to pray, you can come right here. Someone will meet you here show you how to be.